Hey, this is Bill Obers Jr. from Criminal Minds, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Greetings, Spice fans. Silk City Hot Sauce is now sponsoring the Dorkening Podcast Network. Our craft sauces are made in Vermont in small, high-quality batches using locally sourced, farm-grown ingredients. Silk City Hot Sauce comes in a variety of heat strengths and killer flavors like Jezebel, Erotic Fever, Mango Madness, and Good Morning Jonestown. And don't forget our newest creation, Hot Syrup. Make no mistake, Spice fans, this is the queen of sweet heat. There's new and unique flavors coming out all the time. Best of all, right now, listeners of the Dorkening Podcast Network can go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use coupon code DORK. Not only will you get 20% off your order, we'll also throw in a free bottle of hot sauce. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Coupon code DORK. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now Podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You can find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers Series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash havenpodcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate come in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I've got a crap on your deck that you choke at donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Up your nose when you have the hose. What? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast and get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? 
These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another amazing episode of Then Is Now, the podcast in which we discuss pop culture of the past and how it relates today, as well as helping you introduce younger people to all the cool stuff they missed out on. I'm your host, Rigor, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Esper. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's going. How about you? Good, good. It's, um, just in, you know, in the pop culture realm, I've been watching Peacemaker on HBO Max, which is... Um, it's a TV show with John Cena, who plays the same character he played in the Suicide Squad films. I don't know if you've oh, seen Oh, cool. Those. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. It's absolutely... It? I gotta y'all. check it out. It's yeah. disgusting and funny at the same time. <laughs> it, it opens... The opening credits is a dance sequence with him and all the characters on the show, and it's fucking yeah. hilarious. That's um, all. Yeah, I, I gotta check that out. It's funny. Well, it's funny. I used to watch... Um, years ago, I used to watch WWE... And it was around the time John Cena was very, very popular. He had a rap album. He had, and you know, the kids loved the kids loved him. Yeah, I mean, it was like this whole. He, at the time, he was he was close to, but not quite the like probably like the Hulk Hogan of the time, but probably probably not as uh, charismatic as Hulk Hogan. Probably a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan, but uh, wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, I never followed wrestling, so I, I like you, Hulk Hogan. I didn't even know who he was. To me, he was Thunderlips from from Rocky, Rocky III. Three. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I, that's how I got to know Hulk Hogan was from watching Rocky III, and I was like, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, I was like, wait a minute, is that Hulk Hogan? And then it started this train of like becoming a wrestling fan <laughs> just from the sheer fact that he was in Rocky III. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's yeah. awesome. Um, real quick, I've just been catching up on, like, shows like, um, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and there's a whole shit ton of superhero movies and TV shows coming out this year. We've got, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is gonna ah. bounce right out if people have watched Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, all the way through the credits. There's a nice, um, tie-in to that movie. And then, uh, The Boys Season 3 is coming up with Jensen Ackles, and he's gonna play... I can't remember the character's name, but he's basically the first super, and apparently he's he's off his rocker. He's fucking nuts. Um, huh. uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm still in the middle of season two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. But I, I got to tell you about what happened to me the other day. I think yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Well, it didn't happen to me. I, I, I misrepresent this. So... As you know, and as the folks listening know, I'm a huge General Hospital nerd. And there's this major storyline going on, which I won't go into details, but suffice it to say I had a theory about the outcome of the story and the possibility of an old character coming back to the canvas. So I posted that on, like, I belong to pretty much every General Hospital group on (laughs) Facebook. Yeah. So I posted it to nearly all of them. And the amount of response that I got was unbelievable. Not only did I get, I'm telling you, I probably got a few thousand likes or hearts and uh, at least a thousand comments. It's to the point wow. where I click on, on, my, on my phone, and even when we're sitting here, my phone is off, but it keeps popping up, binging. Uh, my phone is on um, silent, but yeah. um, it keeps binging. People are posting in response to my posts. Yeah. And 
what's really awesome about it, I mean, that, that's the first time that's ever happened to me, posting something and getting that much response. To, but, like, I'm trying to scroll down because I'm on so many... I posted in so many groups, I, they're not all the same, so I have to keep trying to scroll down. And as I'm scrolling down to look to the next one that's green so I know that someone posted a comment, uh -huh. um, it bumps away. It bumps back to the top because oh. more people are posting. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, the really cool part is I'm, I'm going to say... 20% of the people on that have said, why aren't you writing for the show? Or they should hire you. You should write Whoa. for the show. Wow. It's insane. I'm hoping, I'm praying. If anyone that works for General Hospital listens to this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my dream for years. I tried in 2004 and it didn't quite work. And Did I you really? Try again. Yeah, it was weird because I, I was able to contact the head of daytime at ABC, a guy named Brian Franz. Huh. And... Um, they, I sent him an email, and he actually got back to me and said, yeah, you could send us a script, a sample script, but don't, you can't include any of our characters or, um, or storylines on any ABC properties. I'm like, okay, fine. So I had an idea in the back of my head, and I, I whipped that out, and I sent it off to them. And the response I got was, while we feel you definitely have talent, it's not what we're looking for. Wow. And I'm like, that's awesome, though. Yeah, it was great that I got in, but I was like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I wasn't pitching you the idea. Was my writing not what you were looking for? They said, it's not what we're looking for. So I don't know. It was, it was kind of vague. It was almost like they just placated me. They probably didn't even read it. <laughs> True, but I mean, if they, uh, but I mean, the fact that they said you had talent, if they did read it, if they did indeed read it, I mean, that's, that's a pretty high compliment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'll try again. I don't, ha I don't have a lot of writing credits to my name, though. So that's the thing is I've got a right. I pretty much got my blog. I just don't have time. I, ha I have ideas. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe I'll just whip a few things out first and then pursue it again and see what happens. Right. Right. You know, yeah. just, that would be freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I mean, that's the dream right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I could do it from home, too. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, you know, the writer's dream. Um, I think it's every writer's dream job to be able to just uh, write all day. I know I love to do that. Oh, yeah, and this is a show that's been on for 60 years, almost 60 sure. years. Sure, yeah. And, um, you know, I, my knowledge of the show goes back to when I started watching in 1981. Sure. So it's like I know the characters' voices. I almost think I'm going to write something. I probably shouldn't say this over the air, but I feel like I should write something in the voices of the characters, but change the characters. Yeah. You know, but make it mm -hmm. sound familiar enough that when they, when they listen, when they, they, it, they could hear it. Yeah. yeah. I, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got going on this week. What do you got going on? Uh, mostly just, uh, my day job. It's been, uh, quite a whirlwind, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, you know, I that's because of it though. I like what I do, so I can't uh, can't complain. So, awesome. Yeah, that's good. So, folks, today we've got a great and versatile actor on the show who you may know from the most recent horror film, Hellraiser: Judgment. So, sit back and prepare for a fun interview. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Whoa, whoa! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. 
Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh, ring, and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go play and have fun now. On the show today, we have an actor who is the grandson of a trumpet-playing vaudeville comedian and the son of a stage actor. He's a classically trained actor of stage, film, and television who is as comfortable in intense macabre drama as he is in broad musical comedy. He's appeared on Broadway in The Last Empress, off-Broadway in Aunt Chooch's Birthday, at the Kennedy Center in Sheer Madness, and in dozens of off-off-Broadway and regional theater productions, which has helped him accumulate a number of awards for his stage work in Dallas and at the regional theaters around the country. You've seen him in such TV shows as Friday Night Lights, Prison Break, and The Purge, among others. He's also been in quite a few films, including Wonderful World with Matthew Broderick, Sin City with Mickey Rourke, Soul Man with Bernie Mac and Samuel L. Jackson, and Super, where he was spanking a baby Rain Wilson. <laughs> but it's his role as the iconic horror villain Pinhead in 2018's Hellraiser Judgment that has brought him acclaim and made him a beloved new member of the horror community. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show a man who has an enviable collection of horror toys and memorabilia and who may have worked on a horror comedy screenplay about a confused man in a bunny suit. Paul Taylor. Ah, thank you, Roger. That is the sweetest. You say the sweetest things. <laughs> Who wrote that anyway? Gosh. I, I pulled it together from all things that I found in my research. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. I like, I loved it. Yeah, it's awesome. pretty accurate. I don't know, you know, some of the beloved, I don't know, maybe beloved, maybe beloved. Well, by all accounts, I feel that that's what I read. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. No, before we get into things, I got to ask you about this man in a bunny suit script. Did this ever come to fruition? Uh, no, I no, I I didn't even put a pin in it. I just sort of decided that the my impetus for starting the thing in the first place was um, really connected to some personal issues that I need not discuss and won't um, in public uh, that I've gotten over, and I'm not sure. That I mean, I think in creating art, if I'm going to actually write a screenplay, it needs to be something of use to people. And I don't think that this screenplay would be of use really to, I don't think it would help anyone. And really, if I'm gonna take the time to create something of my own, I, I really want it to not just entertain or scare or whatever. I really want it to help people. Eh. So I just sort of, well, actually, now that I say that, it would actually help people, but I don't like the topic anymore. Oh, okay. I don't like the topic of, of, of where the film started anymore. That's a very long answer. Sorry about that. That's okay. But no, it never came to fruition, but it may be a one-man show someday, stage play or uh, even a regular play. It may be a short film. I may just do the culminating scene that would be at the end or at the beginning of the movie. Interesting. Because um, that could be enough. It could just be a short and I could say everything I need to say with just the short, leaving out the other aspects that that were that were part of the movie when I started writing it back when I was smoking a lot of dope and uh, <laughs> living in New York, collecting Living Dead dolls, 
wearing actually um, a bunny suit at the, um, I mean, just not any old bunny suit. I made it and then made it all bloody. And, um, nice. <clears throat> at the New York City uh, Halloween parade, you know, it was it was a crazy time in my life. And then 9-11, and it was just, you know, it was nuts. So been through a lot since then. Yeah. So maybe if I can get on the other side of all that, which I think I really have, it may be a better place to write from, you know, oh, yeah. since I'm not as emotionally <laughs> connected to it or emotionally damaged current. Right. By it, so. <laughs> anyway, oh, long answer. <laughs> so every time we have a new guest on the show, we ask the question, how did you get on the path of, on the path of, and in your case, acting? Oh, well, you know, I went to see my dad in a, in a play at Hutchinson Community Theater, um, which is in Hutchinson, Kansas. He was a dentist, but he loved acting. So being, you know, anyway, I saw him. And uh, I don't know if the first thing I saw him do was Felix and the Odd Couple, but that's the one that, that's the, that's the one that has the biggest memory for me. And I remember just, I just thought, well, I don't know if I remember thinking this, but I'm sure what I thought was, that looks like fun. I can connect to my daddy. I want to try that. <laughs> so that's awesome. I don't have issues or anything, but, um, <laughs> but so I, uh, so I did try it and I loved it. And I wasn't really good at anything else. Um, I was kind of a soft child who just wanted to daydream and, and uh, you know, play dress up and fantasize and stuff like that. So, you know, I, it was like, wow. So I, I really, you know, that's, I don't know what the first play I did was. I think I might've done the town mouse and the country mouse in grade school or something. Oh, wow. And then I was asked to write a play in fourth grade that would include every um, cast member. I mean, every class, every classmate. So it was stupid. <laughs> it was that like, a couple of them only had one or two lines? But um, I remember one very. It was called the Purple Piper, and um, the Purple Piper's girlfriend was was the Rainbow, and she. I remember at the end, she, you know, she sat with Marsha Ragland. Hi, Marsha, if you're listening. <laughs> um, she played the rainbow and Bill Kreitz played the, uh, played the Purple Piper. And I played one of the two frogs that were brother and sister. I don't remember their names, but they would finish each other's sentences or, you know, exchange every other word would be the other ones. Anyway, it was really stupid, but I remember that <clears throat> there was a character named Pernail the Pig. And I remember, I won't say who played that because that's kind of rude, but um, uh, <laughs> I think it's rude. <laughs> and, I, and I love the, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know her anymore. Fuck her, whatever. She's, she was a child then. I don't know what she's like now. She's probably a bitch. So anyway, um, you said I could swear. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it was the middle of Kansas. A lot of fucking bitches in Kansas. Lovely people too. <laughs> uptight conservative anyway um so she's probably not like that at all but she had one line she came out and she she wiggled out as i wrote in the direction she wiggles out um and she and she was a little a little larger than the other classmates and she comes out and she goes hi i'm pernell pig i ran away well bye and then she exited that was her role that was that was how good my writing was, if you can believe it. <laughs> yeah. 
but I was never asked to write another play. So, <laughs> but that was fourth grade, you know. I didn't give myself the lead. At least I didn't give myself the lead. You know. <laughs> was it Purnell? That's where it started. Oh, okay. Stage. No. Well, my dad told me, out of love, I'm sure, that um, you know, we want our kids to make the right choices for their lives, and we have to help them make those choices. I speak sarcastically. It's bullshit. Um, <laughs> but he said. He, he he told me I wasn't good looking enough to be in the movies. So I sort of oh, wow. I sort of was like, oh, okay, well, parents know everything. So I'm okay. Sorry. You know, wow. that was awful. That's and terrible. I mean, it it was awful. It's not awful now, because now I'm like, uh, eh, whatever. He didn't do it because he hated me. He did it because he loved me. None of us are perfect parents, you know? So right. I couldn't have Auntie Mame is my, you know. <laughs> if I could, if I would have been born in New York City, and Auntie and Auntie Mame raised me, I would have been a fucking big star at a very young age. <laughs> or I would have died of a drug overdose, or drunk, or AIDS, or whatever. I would have been crazy, you know. Who knows? You know, but we all go through our, we all go through our lives, we all go through our shit, and uh, hopefully we're alive and relatively unscathed. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I I I decided for this interview, and I don't often do this. I mean, in the past I haven't, but I'm at the point in my life where I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck what someone thinks of me. I I've done what I've done. I've I've I feel how I feel, and if people like me, great, and if they don't, great. I don't give a shit anymore. I'm just tired of it. Yeah. I'm tired of it. And and as an actor, that's tough because, you know, what's your job? To make a good impression, you know, to worry about what other people think of you, to audition well and get the part. Right. And um, I mean, maintaining professional relationships. Yeah, that's a great thing. But caring what other people think because of your opinion about something. Oh, my God, I'm so tired of it. So anyway. Do you think that helps you in, in auditions now because you don't walk in with that initial fear that some might have? Yeah. Well, it's been, it's, this is the thing. I mean, 2020 was a fucking shitty year and, and I also turned 60 and then I got relieved of my uh, uh, housing arrangements after living there 12 years and all this shit happened the year I turned 60. Uh, I'm like, wow, what a fucking shit storm. But, and the work went away because of covid so it was like jesus so i may feel this way now but i haven't been able to go to many auditions and uh but i do believe it's going to help me and i believe that what i'm working on right now an audition i'm learning right now so that i can nail, fucking nail it and it's saving my life just working on this audition it's for a lead in a huge movie that's going to shoot in germany who knows you know Right. I don't know. I don't care. It's a beautiful script. Somebody wants to see me audition for this. I'm giving it everything I've got because the rest of my life right now is, it's not shit. It's not complete crap, but, but it's not great. It's not great. Okay. I'm yeah. not going to pretend like it's great when it's just not. So I'm just doing what I can. I'm doing my best. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this script that I'm working on just so I can put my audition on tape. 
It's like, I'm working as hard on this as I did on uh, my pinhead audition because I decided this is saving my life right now. This is, this is possible. This is possible. All it takes is me believing it because I've, you know, it's been a crappy couple of years as I've said 12 times now. And, <laughs> and I used to have such a drive, you know? Yeah. And then when COVID hit, it killed a lot of people's drive and I'm just trying to get it back. I'm like, okay, this, this will work. This is what I can do. So it's all, you know, another very, very, very long answer. I don't even know what the question was. Oh yeah. <laughs> does that help me? I think it does help. I think it's going to help me in auditions. So I think so, too. You know, there's a lot of times in life, no matter what it is, like, let's say, you know, you're trying to find a a girlfriend or something and you you just, you know, nothing's happening. And then you finally go, you know what? Fuck this. I don't care anymore. And then all of a sudden you meet Uh someone and you click. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. It is the same thing. And then when you get and it's also if you get the opportunity and you say, oh, I'm probably not good enough for her then you're not good enough for her, you know? Right. Or, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You know, oh, I probably could never get this role because it's a lead and it's it's in another country and it's a gorgeous script that took they took 10 years to write and it's based on true history. And it's only everything that I wish for in film work. You know, it's every, it's like a period piece. It's a lead, it's, it's, it's real history. It's, it's just, it's so beautiful and it will help people. It's going to help people. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do right now. Even if it's just doing a really good audition on it, this is exactly what I want to do right now. So I'm really excited that it came along when it did. Well, good for you. You got to be ready for the opportunity. That's what what is success. It's opportunity meets, uh, wait, preparation meets opportunity. Huh? Something like I that. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm, and yeah. it's, you know, you, that's it. You're putting Hard the vibe work. out to the universe and it's like fishing, yeah. you know, and it's going to come back to you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. That's mm. how Pinhead happened. That's awesome. I'd been in therapy for <laughs> uh, for a few months. <laughs> I had been in therapy for a few months. It had been a real mess when I started. And I had, and this therapist had gotten me into the power of, you know, meditation and uh, manifesting what you want for your life and telling you things, believing, believing that it's there already, believing and, and just meditating on on how much you're worth and, and what and how much you want what you want and there's no reason not to get your dreams and all this stuff and then I got that opportunity and I immediately thought oh there's no fucking way I'm gonna get this part and then like I did that for about five minutes and then I just I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I said oh this is exactly what you've been asking for so nail it and so I nailed it and I got the part it's crazy that's it awesome. does work. I've seen it work. That's awesome. But when it's not, when things are not working out for a person who's very lucky, very blessed, very privileged, as I am, then I t- turn into a little whiny bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying not to be a whiny bitch. No, you're fine. <laughs> but I wanted to jump back a little bit. We will talk about Hellraiser um, in a bit. Um, I want to just go back in, in your early career, some of the stuff that you did, and even throughout your career, um, you did voiceover work for some anime. Uh, how yeah. did that come about initially, and do you consider do you continue to do voiceover work? Well, first of all, I don't really do much voiceover work. I'd love to, but um, it's kind of a it's kind of an industry, at least my opinion or my from what I understand, it's, it's kind of insular and 
you have to really concentrate on being a voiceover actor to be a voiceover actor, at least in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and I'm really not willing to put that much energy into it, maybe. And I, I, um, I don't know that I have, well, I don't have the desire to do hours of battle sounds like agony screams of agony and stuff right. like that i don't have the instrument for that stuff and a lot of it is that it's very violent and the other thing that the first part of your question i'll answer now um <laughs> i got started in it because i had just moved back i don't remember when my first one was but i think i just moved back from new york and and uh, got uh, signed on with an agent who had me audition for a company called funimation and they are a real leader in um, taking the Japanese anime, <clears throat> rewriting it in English to match the lip, the mouth flaps, right? And uh, re-recording it. And then, of course, we know the industry for anime is just fucking huge. Oh yeah. So, um, so that's how I got started. Was just my agent saying, "Hey, you want to go audition for this?" Just like the same agent who said, "Hey." You want to go down to Austin audition for a Robert Rodriguez movie? It's called Sin City. I'm like, sure. You know, it's like, hmm. oh, <laughs> agents, yay. <laughs> and that, and that was, you know? and that, and that was your first movie, right? Sin City. It was my first movie. Mm. I mean, there was one. There was one that I don't know if it ever got released, but I was an extra in something that shot in New York, and then I was also in a TV movie. Um, well, it wasn't a TV movie. It was just a movie that never was released or went anywhere that was terrible so i don't really talk about it um <laughs> that's, that's fair, fair. <laughs> but, but it's funny the the movie that i this, this thing that i shot in new york not the one that was terrible where i actually had lines but where i was an extra um i remember i only had one day on the set and the scene took place in a church and the lead theme i was you know sitting in the church or was it a bus station? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a place where people were sitting on benches. And uh, this this lead, the, the director says, okay, and then you walk down the aisle and the, between the, the, the rows of seats and, and you think about sitting here, but and he gestures to me and goes, but you don't want to sit there. He's creepy. And so you move on. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm the creepy guy. That's okay. That gets hilarious. me work. So, yeah, I'm creepy. <laughs> Which is so uh, stupid because I'm actually just a big, stupid goofball. You know, I'm not that stupid, but I'm not as smart as I used to think I was. I'm not as smart as I used to think I was. You know? There you go. Yeah, I had to think about I've that. looked at my life and I've gone, no, Paul, come on. <laughs> Look at the choices you've made. Come on, you're not so smart. <laughs> hey, I guess it's just self-destructive, self-sabotaging is what I am. Okay, but, yeah, yeah. That makes or was sense. it's what 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 I was. Right, what I was not what anymore. I was. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> now, I, speaking of Sin City, I love that scene with you and Mickey Rourke. I mean, that was just freaking <laughs> hilarious. I know, I know, I love it. I think that I walked in. You know, I first auditioned for the for the agent for Best Sepco. Love her. Agent Dallas, I mean, Austin. And then I got a call back. So went back down to meet Robert Rodriguez. And I think what he, what he saw in me was, yeah, I kind of want to hurt this guy. 
<laughs> you know? Because <laughs> that character, that character, the worm assistant DA who gets his arm broken in three places because right. he's a smart ass. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I love playing assholes. They're the funnest. They're the funnest to play. I mean, they don't give a shit. Every actress says that that the bad guys are always more fun than the good guys. Gosh, I, I believe so it. Much more fun. Yeah. So maybe my dad shouldn't have said you're not good looking enough. He should have said be more of an asshole. <laughs> right. There you go. There's advice to aspiring actors: yeah. be more. I wasn't of an trying asshole. to play. Yeah, I wasn't trying to play romantic leads i've never wanted to play romantic leads right i want to play the character parts right always oh you know i want people to hate me on stage (laughs) or not but i get this stupid this stupid thing they call vulnerability and it's like (laughs) but that's not actually stupid i'm actually so glad that and i'm actually proud of it that um it seems that in many reviews and many people's comments about my work that they're they say that there's a vulnerability. I'm like, yeah, no matter who this guy, guy is, no matter if he's the biggest jerk in the world um, and we hate him, it's, it's fun to give him, you have to give him humanity. You have to give him a reason for being the way he is. I mean, it's not as easy with Pinhead, except maybe in judgment, it is, it is a different time in Pinhead's existence. So that was actually kind of, I mean, the, the vulnerability came from the, arrogance and the boredom but um anyway yeah i don't even know what the question was uh we were just talking about sin city can you tell us about uh mickey rock you know i've heard things about him (laughs) speaking of (laughs) he was i won't say the word he was just he was just so quiet he was so quiet really i made him laugh i made him laugh but he didn't laugh out loud he never said any actual words to me he just sat there looking at me (laughs) just like what you see in the shot it's like just All right. When I was improvising, he, he was just like, I said a couple of things. He went, <clears throat> you know, but that's it. That was it. He was in and out. You know? And how's Robert Rodriguez as a director? The coolest person I've ever met in my life. I mean, I walked into there. I walked into the, the studio on my day that I shot my huge scene with none of with no lines and um so he's sitting on a director's chair strumming his guitar in front of the monitors he goes hey paul cool come over here i want to show you something and he just like goes yeah here's the thing and i just want you to do this and he's strumming his guitar the whole time so (laughs) mellow and there's all these worker bees running around in this studio troublemaker studios that he built this with his own money you know and it's all green screen and all these people and i've never been in that big of a studio before and never seen all those people working at the same time to for when the camera is going in the director says action all of that happening just for that to happen it was like wow this is what a world this is the world i want to live in that's you know? awesome so yeah he was really cool and he was he, you know, he was a little disappointed that I didn't bring the glasses that I had worn to the callback. I don't, I think I, I left them in the hotel room. Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> so he had to get another pair uh, from somebody. But it was there were there were plenty of pairs of glasses in the wardrobe department, so it was all good. They looked just like a pair of my glasses. It didn't matter. That's hilarious. But yeah, and so really City cool. that did that open doors for you for bigger projects. I think it did. I think it did. Definitely. I mean, and, and that casting director, um, you know, I was on her top, I don't know how many, 
20, top 10. I was at the top of, near the top of her list for quite a while for auditions and she was seeing me for everything. I mean, that's not happening anymore with her, but it's like, that's, that's the way it goes. You know, the business just changes and, and there are certain casting directors who you work with for and work for and work for, and then something changes or, or whatever, or you, you blow a few auditions or there have been some times when I've just been so nervous in an audition in front of the same casting director that I just blew it, you know, and you can only blow it so many times in an audition room, I think before certain cast members, uh, casting directors will just say, you know what, this other guy is more reliable. You know, I don't know. Hmm. It's just, it's hard. Hmm. We all have our good days and our bad days. Well, and on that point too, uh, for any actors who are listening, uh, what what advice would you give actors um, who are looking to get into the the audition room, like any kind of do's and don'ts? In the audition room? Yes, yeah. Yeah, Um, I would, you gotta be happy to be there and you gotta be, you gotta know that these people want you to succeed. Because right. if you're not relaxed, yeah, then you're not gonna be at your best. And you're not gonna show them who you are, because that's who they're looking for in film. Not so much in theater, but um, and I know in film also you are needing to create a character, but more than that, the camera needs to see honesty in your eyes. So really you can't fake it. That's why it's so hard. I don't think film acting is easy at all, but no. maybe some people would disagree with me, but, you know, because you can't fake it. And um, so you can't try to be somebody else or give them what you think they want. It's, it's, it's about showing them who you are, no matter if you think you're right for the role or not, because, sure. you know, sure. this thing I'm about to audition for is... Um, I look at pictures online of the real guy and I look nothing like him. And I'm like, does it matter? Does right. it matter? You know, right. you I told look- myself, oh, you're too old. Nope. If they, they've, they, if they want to see me, then they want to see me. So right. that's the main thing. If, if you're going into an audition room, they want to see you. Right. Not your impression of Richard Dreyfus or something. They want you. So, yeah. But and what you said so earlier is totally true too. Is that they want you to succeed because they don't freaking want to have to sit through another hundred guys to find the right exactly. person. They want you to succeed to end the process soon and be they the one that they want. You know. And make their job easy. Right. Yeah. And then you're on their top ten list, and they call you every time. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, I got to ask you, speaking of auditions, uh, Chris and I are doing the research. We're not sure if this is internet bullshit or not, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not on your IMDb, but it was on a page that was about you, and it, it also listed you as having been in Barney and Friends. Is this just ah, bullshit? It was. Okay. Oh, really? This is funny. You were? This is so oh, well. funny. <laughs> this is so funny. Before I got the part of Mailman Mel, what a stupid <laughs> name, Mailman Mel. That's amazing. What? What? Who came <laughs> up with that alliteration? Anyway, another creepy guy story. <laughs> Mailman Mel is not creepy. Mailman Mel was in one of the Christmas specials. And he was great. He came and he delivered packages at Christmas. And it was all very happy. And he was just doing his job. And he had no relationship really with anybody else, which is how it should be when Paul Taylor is on film. 
Um, I mean, when those are my favorite roles is when I really don't have a relationship to anybody else. I just came in, come in, come in and I do my thing and I leave. But um, the before I got that, I was doing extra work on Barney. And it was it was a normal some normal episode, and you know they have the kids and they have the Barney and they have the parents and but they have the kids, and then they have Paul Taylor as an extra, and they have Paul Taylor sitting on a park bench, a park bench alone, <laughs> and <laughs> I know, and one of the guys who was I don't know if he was assistant director, if he was casting director, or if he had brought me in, he's like. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have Paul sitting on that bench alone with the children running around. You know, was like he looks like he looks molesty. So that's which couldn't be any further from who I am. But still, if that's what I look like, it's what I look like. Right. You know, it's it's hard not to look creepy if people decide that you're creepy because you're alone. You know. That's and I'm alone most of the time, so whatever. But uh, anyway, I'm cre- and I don't care anymore. <laughs> anymore, it's kind of like it's a defense mechanism. It's like I'll just pull up my hoodie, and I'll just be creepy, and people will leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just leave me alone. Uh... <laughs> that reminds me of an old Eddie Murphy skit on Saturday Night Live where he had this. Um, he was trying to teach you how to not get mugged. And he had this necklace that looked like a golden teardrop at the as the charm on it. And he goes, uh-huh. what you do is this. And he puts it up, the necklace over his ears and the teardrops dangling off the tip of his nose. And he goes, this will look like snot. And that will keep the muggers away from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He was brilliant. This will look like snot. I can see it. I don't think I ever saw that episode. Oh my god, it's one of the few but that I, can... I watched. I've, uh, aside from the originals, after yeah. Eddie Murphy, yeah. I stopped watching I, here and there. But I know, I know. it's yeah. I mean, Phil Phil Hartman. Hello, Phil yeah. Hartman. You know what a god. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, there've been um, there've been some good ones, but not since that original cast. Nobody no. has ever topped it. No. Oh my god. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. Oh man! Just, just oh my God! Legends. Oh Gilda Radner. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we just want to move on here in your in your career, and I hope this is not the movie you were referring to earlier. And if it is, you could just say you don't want to talk about it. But I had mm-hmm. to ask you about one called Devin's Ghost: The Legend of the Bloody. Boy. Oh no, the, the, that's not that's not, no that's shot in um in um blah blah blah. Where did that shoot in South Dallas? Uh, yeah. Uh, Oak Cliff. Oh, okay. Shot in Oak Cliff, and an abandoned. I don't know if it was abandoned high school or some sort of. I don't know. I don't think school was happening there anymore. But it takes place in a high school. Okay. And uh, it was. It was. It was something. It was early on. Yeah. Um, I hadn't been back. I think it was the same year I shot Sin City. If not, I don't know. But um, yeah, I played a reporter in that. A sleazy. I mean, he wasn't, he was just doing his job. As he says, I'm just doing my job. Um, <laughs> of course he gets killed. Spoiler, spoiler. Oh, um, man. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get killed. It's okay. He does have a turn. He does turn around though. He has a turn around and you go, oh, he's not such a bad guy. But by that point in the movie, it's like, no, everybody's going to die now. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it's Devin's ghost, and he's got a bat that has a circular saw embedded in it, and right. wants to play. <laughs> he wants to play baseball with your head, you know. And I had to ask you about this because I, I do looking at the um, IMDb on it. Johnny Young Bosch directed it. Now, to me, yeah. and Chris, you may remember him yeah. too. He was Adam, the second Black Ranger on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so, Karen Astley was in it too. She was one of the Power Rangers as well. That's right. So what what yeah. was he like to as a director? Because he, he was very young back then. I, you know, honestly, it, I'm sure he was lovely. I I honestly don't remember much about that shoot. I was so full of shit, so full of myself at that point. <laughs> I mean, I was I was quite insecure, but the character I was playing was was pretty gross, you know, just going after the story, going after the story, going after the story. So I don't I honestly I don't remember. Uh, it was a while ago. Wow. You know? Interesting. I mean, he didn't make the impression on me like Robert Rodriguez made the impression on me. Right. Uh, this is right. all I'm going to say. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. And he's only directed four things, and I think three of which were in infomercials. So I was just curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I was supposed to do a convention with him last year, I think, and with Karen Astley, I think, but it got canceled or something. Oh, I don't know. Or maybe the one with Karen Astley's coming up. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Well, I I gotta ask you about one of my favorite shows, Prison Break. Oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, my God, story. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I got, I kept auditioning and kept auditioning and kept auditioning, and the casting director loved me and loved me and loved me and called me in for everything. Um, she'd seen me play Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Show. So, so she was like, I've seen you in your underwear. Hey. Anyway, <laughs> um, so she, she called me in for prison break and uh, called me in and called me. I got a role, got the role of the trusted assistant. And I was supposed to have a scene with the old man with the, I don't know if it was bald or if he had a shaved head, but he was one of the older guys and one of the leads, but not a lead, um, sort of a bad man who had a lot of money. And um, he traveled in, he traveled in a, a limousine. So there was a scene that I was supposed to do that was written and it was with him. Um, and I was the trusted assistant giving him a file and giving him some information about whoever we were talking about. And uh, I was like, yay, booked. I booked it. I booked it. So then a week goes by and it's time. It's the day of the shoot. And I have not received a call with my call time. I've not received any instructions whatsoever. And the shoot is tomorrow morning. And so finally, I knew the wardrobe person and I called her and I said, look, Desiree, um, what's going on with tomorrow's shoot? Because I can't seem to get a hold of anyone an assistant director, anybody who, who would be giving me this information. I don't know what's happening. She says, well, it's downtown Dallas. It's at this blah, 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 blah. So I go there in the morning and um, I show up and I think they were surprised to see me. Um, like maybe I was supposed to not show up, but I, and, and then they were going to go, well, he didn't show up because they'd actually changed the script and that scene no longer was in the script oh. and so they just were like well we booked him so i guess we can't you know we can't exactly say you're fired go home um so they wanted to not have to pay me i think uh that's why they didn't want me to show up so i had shown up 
And so they gave me a role of opening the limousine door for the guy who was a larger role, who now had the scene with the man, with the bald old man um, in the limousine. So it's funny, I open the limousine door, the guy gets in and it's a long wide shot. You can't see who I am. And then just as I'm shutting the door, a bus passes and then go to commercial break. And that was my role. Huh. And I get paid residuals for that on a yearly basis. So anyway, they then I got cast in another role. And this one actually had a line. So that was good. So um, it was kind of cool, though, because I did get to be in the van with um, Went, Wentworth. Yeah, That's his Went, name, right? Wentworth Miller, yeah. Yeah, I remember he, I was in the you know second row of the bus, the van, and he got in the front, and I'm like, "Well, that's 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 Wentworth. That's cool," um, you know. And he was very quiet, seemed very kind, but I have no idea. I don't know these people, so that was a scene where I, he didn't ask me about these scenes, but that was my story. But then I did book another role that was actually a role that did actually shoot, and so I, oh yeah, there is a story. This was the coldest day I had ever experienced in Dallas, Fort Worth, in, in Dallas area. So where do we shoot? But we shoot, I believe, on Lake Louisville or some lake. And the water isn't quite frozen, but it's going to be if it goes down another five degrees or something. It's so cold and windy. And we're shooting on a pier. And the, the old man is shooting on a boat in in the water. So anyway, they have these huge heating units set up. They have parkas for everyone. They it's so cold. No one can stand it. And so but we can't wear the parkas for the scene and but we have to shoot the stuff. So what we would do is it would almost be time for action almost. We'd take off our parkas, we'd run over to where we had to do the thing and then there another 15 20 seconds would happen and then you go in action and I'd and I pat down the guy and I go, he'll see you now. That's my whole scene. But um, I remember uh, like five takes in or something. And we had been in and out of our parkers a few times. And the director goes, stop shivering. You look cold. <laughs> oh my God. That's brilliant direction. That's brilliant. <laughs> I don't care if I scathe my own name. Who cares? But really... I look cold. I'm sorry. Right. I'll, I'll <laughs> try to do something about that immediately. So, so when you see it, when, if you see that scene, it's just like, all I'm trying to do is get the words out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, they'll see you now. Please ex exit and have him say cut so I can leave. It was I, crazy. You played an FBI guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you work, uh, have any scenes with David Fitchner, who also played the... Who's sort of like no, the but, guy? No, but God, he was my favorite character. I think yeah. he was everybody's favorite. Oh my God, such a psycho. Oh, but I did get I did get an audition. I did get an audition for the therapist who he kills. Oh wow. Audition for that role before yeah. he dyes his hair blonde. Yeah. But then he dyed his hair blonde. And I was like, oh, I see why possibly I didn't get that role. Because <laughs> I'm so brunette. But oh my God, I wanted that part. Oh, it would have been great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have been yeah, I would have worked with him and he would have killed me and assumed yeah. my identity. That would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, another uh, guy who you want to kill, you know? It's like I'm I have I have a career out of dying and, and getting injured. You know, people <laughs> like to hurt me. 
I'm not a victim in real life. I promise. Right, right. No, we know, we know <laughs> in, that. In movies, oh my god. Uh, yeah, that's her. Uh, you um um you um, you had a creepy uh, um you had a part of a creepy movie called The Gray Man. Yeah, that was fun. That was way early on too. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm eating an apple, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just seen with Jack Conley. Jack Conley. Wow. Of um, L.A. Confidential. I nice. just seen with that guy. That's it was so awesome. cool. That's awesome. I wasn't creepy in that. I wasn't creepy. I was um. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous, but that's just because I was nervous. No, is that based on a true story? Because it was about the serial killer who killed kids Albert and ate Fish. them. Albert Fish. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Mm, wow. Yeah. It shot in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Another story. Want another story? Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I have one scene. I have the one scene. He's come to the to the Western Union. Um, yeah, I'm a Western Union agent. Yeah. Um, Guthrie is famous for for being a place where people shoot films because it's got, it's an old town. It's got some really great buildings. And uh, so, so I think this building had been a bank, but now it's a Western union station. So Jack Conley's character comes in to leave a watch to, because he's searching for the killer. And uh, I'm not really wanting to help him very much, but he comes up with an idea and blah, blah, blah. So, we do this scene, we do the wide, then we come in, and then we come in, and we come in, and then we do Jack's close-up. We turn the cameras around to do my close-up. We do one take, and then the banjo parade starts outside. <laughs> <laughs> there was a banjo parade outside for like 30 minutes. Uh... We couldn't film anymore, so I got one take. Um, on my with my close up, and thank God I knew my lines, and I look nervous as hell, and I mean I, maybe I don't look nervous. I think I just look like prissy and like no, I don't want to help you. But what I was actually <laughs> was like, oh please let me get this right because this is Jack Conley, and you know it's a big deal. So right. um, so then finally after watching the parade for a while, the banjo parade for a while. Um, the director says, okay, that's it. We're going to have to move on to another setup. And so we move on. So I'm walking back to the to base camp with Jack. And um, I said, man, I hope I, hope I did okay. Because that was my only close-up. And he goes, you were great. Believe me, he wouldn't have moved on if you weren't. And I know. And I'm like, oh, thank God. That's Jack awesome. Conley just told me I was great. <laughs> oh, but I love, I love that scene. And I love that movie. I think The Gray Man is a great movie. More people need to see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the story of Albert Fish. It's ironic that fish eat humans. <laughs> he did. He liked children. And you know what? He also liked to shove needles into his own rectum. So Ew. there's that. Yeah. Oh, we have that to look forward to. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like Jesus wanted him to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then there you go. <laughs> he, he had religion. So religion helps people. It really, really helps people. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> told me to stick this needle in my ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He never talks about the devil. It's all about God. So whatever. <laughs> now, did you ever get to um, have any scenes with John Wesley Shipp when you worked on Karma Police? I did not have a scene with him. No. Nope. Oh, okay. 
I was no, curious. I was an FBI agent. Well, you know that you're looking at my stuff. No, right. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't have a scene with him. I, but I like my scene in that too. I'm just rummaging through a desk, you know, and giving some information about something we found. And it's like, you know, we're going to have a tough time finding this guy, you know. Right. <laughs> and it was funny because when I was looking at your um, filmography, I when I first saw that title, I'm like, oh, that must be another anime. And then I clicked on it. And I was like, oh, this is a live action movie. I haven't seen this one. <laughs> yeah, it was shot in Dallas, Texas. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Now, speaking of having scenes with, with actors, um, what about Soul Men? you got to tell us about Samuel <laughs> Jackson and Bernie Mac. I loved yes. it. I loved it so much. You know, Bernie Mac was so sweet, and Samuel Jackson was not. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, that I, he, he, didn't have, he didn't need to have anything to do with me, so he didn't. But, um, but I remember the little scene, because I'm kind of a, you know, I'm the hotel hotel manager at the Peabody Hotel, you know, I'm kind of a kind of a big deal. I wear a nice suit, you know. I don't want these guys to stay at my hotel because past history, what they did to some rooms and part of the hotel. So we do the scene. That's that's the main scene. But then there's a scene at the end, scene that takes place like the next day or something. Um, I don't know. They have a big fight in the hotel room, and I say call the police and. Uh, revelations about the relationships about who who's who's daddy and all this stuff or i don't remember the plot but anyway it had to do with hurting other people and um <laughs> so so who cares hurt him hurt him right people suck <laughs> um but it was a scene where it was outside the hotel and i just would i brought out um suitcases and just drop them on the sidewalk and then walk back into the hotel while looking at these people who we've kicked out of the hotel. And Bernie Mac is one of them. And uh, uh, so I come out and I throw him down and I kind of go, hmm. And then I walk back in and, and he's like, you know what? You need to make it more like, hmm. And he starts acting like he's all prissy and, and, and primping his own clothes and stuff and being all, <laughs> and uh, it was, pretty damn funny to get direction from bernie max so i did exactly that that's what i did I, I wish it was a bigger moment in the movie but you can really hear my humph. you know you really hear that <laughs> that's great yeah that's awesome my um, final moment with bernie mac and i think that was his last movie i'm not yeah but it's really good. a shame yeah um what about working with uh, oliver stone or james brolin on w <laughs> <laughs> crickets and laughter oh, oh we broke God. him so many We're... stories you guys so many stories about oh, boy. okay so yeah. i book a role on w i book a role of a religious sort of guy who's having a meeting with w and all these other important people um you know toby jones is in the movie and and um oh what's her name she played mrs bush oh she'd kill me not that she knows who I am. Anyway, she, <laughs> I, I went to Shreveport. That's where it shot. Um, and I, but I was doing a play at the time in Dallas. So I went to, but they, I went to Shreveport for, for a rehearsal, like a table read of my scene and some other stuff. And it was a very exciting day. And I was, I'd never been to a rehearsal for a big movie. And so, but I had to be back that night for, for my dress rehearsal of Bent, the play Bent at Uptown Players in Dallas. And, um, I I remember 
people were late in arriving if you can believe it, movie stars were late in arriving. Wow. And it got delayed and pushed and delayed and Oliver Stone was around, but he wasn't really. And, and so finally I said to the assistant DA or whoever, DA, that's who I find <laughs> the, assistant, the assistant director or whoever, I said, um, I really have got to leave by blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, okay. So he, he, then he came back later and he said, yeah, well, if you need to leave, then leave. And I wouldn't have probably been paid for that day. And I probably would have been, well, as it turns out, I was recast, but I probably would have been recast. Um, who knows? But so I do the rehearsal and then I leave. I, I do stay for the rehearsal and I'm late to the dress rehearsal um, in Dallas and that's fine. Um, and then, and then I get recast in a different role, but it's a better role because there's a great line in it. And it's a reporter. It's like reporter four or reporter three or something. I don't know. And <clears throat> I, uh, I, the line is, okay, so, so, so W is talking and he says something about the education and about pushing through and about, you know, teaching these kids instead of just, instead of we just suckle them through and that's what he says, suckling through. And I turn to another reporter and I go, did he just say suckle? I'm like, oh my God, that's the best line I've ever had in a movie. I am so excited. So, okay, I show up on the day that we're shooting. I have no lines. I am no longer a reporter. And I am an extra who is standing with a well-wisher who says, hey, loved your speech. At the end of some speech he made inside this building, it's be the reporter thing has become completely different. It's not a press conference. It's basically they're walking from this building to their car and being, you know, hounded by reporters who are shouting, 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 shouting their lines. I had done that for a while, had been a reporter shouting my lines. And, and then they're like, you know, we have too many reporters. Paul, go be... Um, second well-wisher so I now had no lines and was a well-wisher never in that guy's line that didn't make it whatever the well-wisher's line was so there was never even a close-up of it so anyway there's this long shot so again you see me you see my bald my bald spot for about a moment in that movie but the next scene the next scene Toby Jones you know he played Capote that's yep. my reference um I don't remember the name of the real person he played in W. Someone very important. I don't know. I'm not into politics, but his no, first line he was in the Carl next Rowe. scene. That's right. He was Carl Rowe. His first scene, his first line in the next scene is suckle. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Fuck Toby Jones. <laughs> I wanted to say suckle. <laughs> so yeah, all kinds of it's just, freaking business i mean it's such a fucking heartbreaker but you know what i still got paid my day rate and i still get residuals so who the hell cares you know i play right. pinhead so exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so weird it's oh so weird God. there's so many instances the more i the more things you bring up and i'm just like yeah this was supposed to happen but it didn't so this happened instead so many instances like that it's crazy and that happens to everybody Except for movie stars who are like established, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll throw it's another just... one at you. you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was probably going to say something like, it's shitty. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got another know. one to throw at you. Uh, what about working with Matthew Broderick in that great scene in Wonderful World? Oh, no. 
I don't care. Too happy to be there. I don't care. Okay, so I have this scene. I'm skinny and pretty, and I have this scene. Really excited about it. And um, we do the wide shot. We bring it in. We bring it in. We bring it in. We do Matthews. Matthews close up. The director says, "Okay, now we're going to turn the cameras around and get Paul's close up." Matthew Broderick says, "Ah, uh, do we have? To? Do we really need it? I think we're good." And I thought he was joking, and I just went, "Ah!" I laughed, and he looks at me, and I'm like, "Oh my God, he's fucking serious. <laughs> he doesn't want me to have a close up." Whether it's because he doesn't think my character is important enough or whether it's because he's a little dumpy right now for this movie and doesn't want me to be seen in close up or whatever. I was really pretty back then. Anyway, I'm bitter. <laughs> Not really. But I was like, God damn it, Matthew Broderick. Fuck you. That's how I felt. <laughs> and then I had another scene where I didn't have any lines, a scene where he calls me a nobody. So that was fun. But it's the courtroom scene because he's suing me. No, he's suing the city because his roommate died because because his car was towed, because I did something, because I didn't like the way he parked, so I had his car towed, so his roommate couldn't get to the hospital, and he died, so boo-hoo, and um, <laughs> I, so yeah, there's this courtroom scene, and I'm sitting there in court, and he, uh, he's talking to me, and I just remember seeing him pass by before we went in to actually shoot the scene, he just kind of looks at me as he walk, he's walking by, he's like, yeah, I sort of waved and didn't, and uh, you know, it was like that, so I'm sorry, I mean, Matthew Broderick is a very gifted and cherished actor. I did not happen to have a lovely experience with him, is right. what I'm saying. Yeah. And it led me to believe that he's a bit of a selfish asshole. Yeah. So I don't care. I don't care. I'm tired of people being like that. You know, yeah. I, that's what I mean by, you know, people are like, don't talk bad about other people. I'm like, fuck them. Right. I just, I'm tired of it. I'm going to, I should write a tell all book, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of stories. Uh, were there any stories about uh, working on Super? Like, 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 what was it like working with uh, James Gunn? I loved that so Did much. You? Yeah. I loved it. What, so, what was, uh, uh, so, what was James Gunn like as a director? He was wacky. I mean, he was fun. Was he? He was very, I can imagine. He was very. <laughs> He knew exactly what he wanted and he wanted it quickly because, you know, it was a low budget film and they sure. knew, you know, I mean, I love Slither so much. Wasn't Slither just the best? Oh, I love Slither. So, yes. Elizabeth yes. Banks, that's who played Mrs. Bush. Laura yeah, Bush, Bush, yeah. She was also, you know, in Slither. Um, yeah. So I got to, he was, he was a lot of fun, but he did, we didn't spend a lot of time together. I do remember, I mean, a lot of time on the scene. Because I gave him exactly what he wanted, and he knew that I would do that, and that's exactly what I did. I did exactly what I did in the audition. And I went to the audition sort of as the character. Like, I had my own creepy eye-distorting glasses, and I had my high-waisted trousers, you know, my short-sleeved gross shirt. And I was the, I was that guy. I was that religious, and I had my hair, you know, parted in the middle or slicked back or, you know, really gross guy um, <laughs> who I would hate. Because, I mean, he's beating his child for having pictures of Heather Locklear in his closet. You know, he's obviously got, he's a, he's a big reason why this Rain Wilson character grows up to think he's such a loser. So anyway, mm. um, I remember sitting in the makeup trailer and Liz, I mean, Liv Tyler is sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, oh my oh. God. She is <laughs> like uh, an angel 
in appearance you know she's so fucking beautiful oh yeah yeah and yeah. flawless as you know mm-hmm. and the skin and just she glows and you know she was nice she was she was friendly but she was on the phone you know t- telling somebody you know i'm i'm in shreveport shooting this little movie I'm like, yeah and you live tyler <laughs> <laughs> tell your dad hi love Harold yeah Smith, no kidding you know oh um, that's awesome that's fine yeah so yeah and I got to see Rain Wilson. He was on the set, but of course he wasn't in the scene because he couldn't shrink himself. But but he was on the set. He was one of the producers. So he kind of said hello. But it was very businesslike. It was a very professional set. Yeah. Yes. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And was it like, and, did and, the kid have padding in his pants or something? Or how did Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have even had a book in there. I'm not sure. It was <laughs> like kind of like the first time, the first and last time I ever got... Um, got spanked by my dad i think i i put a book in my pants i did not get away with that but pretty obviously there was a book in my pants i think i think i tried the same thing we probably both learned it from spanky and the little rascals probably. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> probably <laughs> it was a fun set though it, you know so many day player roles and you know you shoot one day and then you're gone it's kind of heartbreaking it's like but yeah. i'm on a film set oh, so <laughs> you know like, oh. you know that's uh, that's one of the reasons i love doing i won't say i prefer theater but i do love theater and one of the reasons if i were to prefer theater that would be the reason why is like you're employed for weeks and weeks yeah. but yeah but i would rather be on a film set anyway yeah, these days. Of course. Yeah. You know? How did the uh, Purge TV show come about? It was really cool, too. Well, I auditioned for Ryan Glorioso, the casting director, and uh, he had cast me. He used to be in Shreveport. I remember several casting directors moved up to Shreveport after Hurricane Katrina. And uh, so stuff was shooting out of there. That's why I got so much stuff out of Shreveport. Soul Men, Blonde Ambition, um, Wonderful World. Uh, oh, there were others. You know, anyway, so he got to know me and he, he really liked me because I always made him laugh in the auditions. No matter who I was, what I was doing, he would always laugh and I'd go, maybe I'll get this one. And then I would. So um, so then, you know, they got, what's that place? I can never remember. I can never remember the place in Louisiana. What's that place called? It's oh, called New Orleans. New Orleans. Thank you. I can never remember <laughs> New Orleans. I'm like, I was going to go Baton Rouge. <laughs> Do you know what it means to not remember New Orleans' name? Um, so I, so I, yeah. So anyway, that's a long story. So I, <laughs> for no reason, he put me on tape and I got the part. It was really easy. It was really easy. I had, I put myself on tape. That one wasn't in person. I, you know, got put on tape at my agency. Then I had a, a, a redirect where, they, where the casting director was actually just very, kind and really just wanted a good job instead of being kind of a creepy guy you know so <laughs> so so then I got the cat the part and um it it shot in Shreveport and that was a fantastic professional television I mean not Shreveport New Orleans I remembered New Orleans <laughs> it was a fantastic professional set it was just amazing it's like if there's a if there is a position to be filled on a tv or film set every position is filmed on this set i mean it was just so amazing all the money and all the stuff going on but you know it's the purge tv show of course it's like that but the ironic thing is the day before that i shot my couple scenes in a low budget horror film in california 
um, uh, a film called, um, uh, don't tell me, because I know the name of this movie, called Roadhead, um, which is produced by the same people who produced Sick for Toys. And I had to be done by like four o'clock PM. And I, and my, and I, we weren't done with me, but my friend, John Paul Burkhart, who actually I've known for years and decades because of doing theater together in, in Dallas, who's lived in LA for many years. And now as a producer, um, he's actually working on getting a movie produced that I'm going to star in, but we'll see about that. So hope that happens. <laughs> hope Gary Tunnicliffe directs. We'll see. We hope, we hope, we hope, we hope. Anyway, anyone got $3 million? Can I have it? <laughs> uh, um, so, so anyway, uh, we shoot that. He drives, we leave at 4 p.m. And they had to use my double for the stunt, for the stunt that actually happens in the movie. I won't do a spoiler. It's pretty gross and kind of funny. Um, but um, he drives me like a banshee. He drove me from the set to the Las Vegas airport. I just, just make my plane. I fly to New Orleans. I, I, and, and I have a few hours to sleep in the hotel room. I get up early in the morning to go to the set to shoot my scene in on The Purge in this huge budget TV show. It was like, whoa, <laughs> this, is, this is the life. One day you're on a set in, on the you know, West Coast making you know, not good money at all. Um, and, then, and then flying to New Orleans to shoot this thing for too much money. You know, it's like, wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I wish that kind of thing would happen all the time. Maybe it will again. We just have to get our world back. Right, right. Right. World back. Yep. Now, how did it feel in that scene where you're auditioning the lady for the announcer part? Now you're doing the auditioning, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It was really cool because I, I loved her, first of all. You know, she she played Little Red Riding Hood in Into the Woods in the original cast of Into the Woods on Broadway so many years ago because she's a short little thing and lovely and funny and spunky. And she also did get to play uh, Little Red Riding Hood a few times because she understudied Little Red Riding Hood. But she played Snow White. Yeah, got to play. Anyway, I met her. (laughs) She is actually the voice of the Purge in the Purge movies. So wow. Yeah. So that's why they cast her in this role, because she's auditioning for the role of the voice in the purge. And it's like a prequel to the season before. And so it felt really cool because I knew her and we we well, actually we went out to dinner then that night afterwards. She treated me to the most lovely expensive dinner. It was so great. But um uh it was what was the question? What um, how did it feel playing the part of someone doing the auditioning rather was, than having to be the auditioner? I really liked it. It made me feel like I could do this. I could do this. But also the director gave me some brilliant direction, what he wanted from me. We And I don't know if we'd already done a take or not, but he said, no, this is the situation with this casting director. You have seen a lot of people for this voice over Rolf. These men sitting behind you are not nice people. They're not good people. They will kill you if you don't get this role cast. So they know who your family is. They will make your family disappear. You will disappear if you don't come up with this 
this, they're tired of sitting here. They don't understand the business. They want the voice now. I'm like, oh my God. So it was great direction. You know, <laughs> it made amazing. it a lot more amazing. fun to play it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, we are going to pause it here because we went on for over two hours with Paul Taylor. We had such an amazing conversation and a lot of great laughs. He really opened up about a lot of stuff that he's never spoken about on interviews before. And uh, when we come back next time, he's going to talk more about behind-the-scenes stuff of working on some of his projects, as well as his role as Pinhead in the most recent Hellraiser film, Hellraiser Judgment. So join us again next week for another fun-filled episode of Then Is Now podcast. Class dismissed.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.